Is this thing on? I don't know. Hello. Are we there? <laughs> Hello. Are we there? Are we here? We're I'm... back. I don't think I know how to do this anymore. <laughs> Shall we start in three, two, one? This is Taylor Talk, the number one Taylor Swift podcast brought to you by taylortalk.org. Hey guys, what's up? This is Adam. I'm Diane. And I'm Steve. Hey Steve. Hey Diane. Hi, how are you guys? We're back for episode 200, the great 200, um, the, the moment that all the OCD people can finally listen to episode 199. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, it is for at least one person that I know of. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, guys, here we are. We're back. Um, Taylor released some new music, a new song for us to analyze. And uh, we're very excited to be back. It's been about a year and a half since we've put out a new episode. So I'd like to welcome all the brand new listeners who have never joined us before. And then additionally, welcome back all of those that have been here for the last six years. Has it seriously been six years? Uh, six years in November. So well, almost. I suppose I wouldn't count last year because that's a... That was a dead year for us. It's been six years since we started. Okay. Counts for something, right? Um, Now, as far as where we've been, where the show's going, things of that sort, we'll talk about that at the end of the episode, because for all you new folks, I don't want to bore you with all the stuff you don't really care about. And for the old folks, I know you're going to be here at the end of the episode, so we can talk about it then, right? Um, Second little point I want to get to is the music video. So we're recording on today, Sunday, the 27th of August, and the music video is coming out tonight at the VMAs. We're actually recording before the VMAs because we're all old people with real jobs and have to uh, go to bed and don't want to stay up and record a late episode. That and it just makes a little bit more sense to actually get a chance to absorb it and really articulate thoughts, which is also why we are recording this episode on the song itself a few days after because I bet there were a lot of people that were like, oh, I bet we're going to get a new podcast episode tonight. Uh, oh. I'm actually really happy that we did not record, um, you know, because I certainly have had more time to think of things to say about this song that are much better than, oh, my God, I love it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or, ugh. Yeah, right. Could so, be, ugh. Exactly. Yeah, so um, here we are. We're going to talk about the song. Uh, Those of you that are brand new to the show, what we like to do here is really break it down lyric by lyric. I don't want to say that it's entirely like your English class from high school, but it's kind of like your English class from high school. It's just we're using song lyrics instead of, I don't know, some boring Charles Dickens novel. How dare you? (laughs) Yeah, so so Diane is currently pursuing her master's in English, and she has to read a a giant Dickens novel that's about like 20,000 pages. I know, it's going to be fabulous. Yeah, well, all right, on to the song, because that's why everybody's here, right? So just some quick little facts about it before we jump into it. Um, Its first day, in its first 24 hours, it already set multiple records, right? So it set Spotify's global first day record with over 8 million streams in the first 24 hours, followed by 5.4 million streams, then 2.7 million in the days that followed. And then the lyric video that accompanied the new song. <laughs> Sorry, the dog just barked. We'll see if we can keep him quiet. But I doubt it. He just wanted to be a part of the excitement, right? Yeah, anyway, I should have introduced him. <laughs> he's, he's the newest host on the show. 
Um, he probably has more articulate things to say than the rest of us. They sound kind of like, rough. Anyway, so the, the, the lyric video had the most views within 24 hours than any other lyric video in YouTube history by a long shot. So in the first 24 hours, 28.5 million views, which beat the previous record set by the Chainsmokers, something just like this, which had 9 million views in the first 24 hours. So you're talking more than three times the previous record. It's absolutely phenomenal. Um, now, what's actually quite incredible to me about this is that she managed to accomplish this without us ever really hearing from her directly. Yeah, and that is certainly a change from what we are used to when she comes out with new songs because this is the first time where she was just like, here. And it was online and we could hear it, but she didn't say anything. She didn't film anything. She didn't have any fan stuff going on no fan parties it was just very very quiet her involvement was incredibly minimal yeah um you know which which speaks to the the merits of her marketing ability really she's one of the most brilliant marketing minds on the planet we could probably fill an entire episode analyzing her whole strategy with deleting her social accounts deleting her website doing all that stuff getting all the hype talking and things of that sort. And what's really brilliant about it is she got the entire world talking about her without saying a thing. So that's pretty impressive. Like I said, that that's kind of a discussion for another time. Let's talk about the song, right? So the song was co-written with Jack Antonoff. Now, personally, I love when she co-writes with Jack Antonoff because I think what they typically come up with is true art, right? Where a lot of her hits off 1989 and even some off of Red were co-written with Max Martin and Shellback, who they're just like top of the charts pop making machines, right? And it's it's not necessarily the most artistic and those are a little bit harder to analyze and really break down the way we like to do on an academic level on this podcast. Um, but the ones she does with Jack Antonoff are true works of art, right? Sure. So now the surprising credits the surprising writing credits, that is to say, go to Richard and Fred Fairbrass of Right Said Fred for I'm Too Sexy. The guys that wrote I'm Too Sexy, they, or rather she, borrowed the rhythm of the chorus, the I'm Too Sexy for My Shirt, that one. Um, so if you listen to the chorus, and Diane was actually shocked by this. She's like, really? And yeah, then we I didn't it. quite believe it, but it actually does sound very similar. And you can actually sing along um, to "I'm Too Sexy." Uh, you know, it goes <laughs> Is that right. What do you do all the time, Adam? Uh, you know, I, I do what I can. <laughs> but no, um, I just thought that was really interesting, and I just, you know, from what I understand, I wanted to provide some clarity. It seems like even though they have writing credits, they didn't actually work on the song the way Jack Antonoff and Taylor did together. Um, But rather, they got a mysterious message, and this is as per Rolling Stones. um, They got this mysterious, sorry, Rolling Stone magazine. um, They got this mysterious message that a big contemporary female artist who hasn't released anything for a while wanted to use um, their 90s hit, I'm Too Sexy, and integrate it into a new song. So they sort of took a shot in the dark, and they're like, Yeah, we're cool with it. And, you know, based on the description, they had suspicion that it was Taylor Swift, but they didn't know for sure. And they actually didn't hear the completed song until the rest of the world did. Yeah, which I'm sure is okay with them now because they get paid for it and they didn't have to do anything. So what's the best passive way to make money? Yeah, I guess so. Like, I'm sure they're they're perfectly happy with it. They're perfectly pleased with it. In fact, um, you can read that article. You just look up Rolling Stone magazine and 
um, see what they had to say about it. They are getting paid, although they wouldn't disclose how much, which, you know, it's none of our business anyway. Um, but anyway, th- those are some quick facts about the song, right? So let's talk about the song as a whole, right? What's the, what's the larger story that's happening here? Because, you know, Taylor is and always will be a storyteller when she writes lyrics. What do you guys think? Um, Steve, how about you start with this one? <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot, but I would rather you go first. You know, what? the big part of this song for me is kind of how it's like a bunch of terms that we hear pretty often, almost like mystery novel kind of names kind of stuff being thrown around. That's what I kind of noticed with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking like in the lyrics there with the perfect crime where, you know, we know that Taylor likes to watch things like law and order. So, you know, a lot of those things kind of popped into my mind. Like each of these lines just really okay. kind of made me think of one Taylor thing or another. So I'm yeah. going to be excited to break down these lyrics. Dan, why do you grill Steve on that one? What, what, well, are, what are you, what are you thinking? I have like, in a sense, almost like two personalities about this song, if that makes sense at all. Like part of me likes the song because it's fun um, and then the other part of me has some issues with what the song could be saying and what the song or who the song could be about. And that's kind of where I stand. Like, I like the song when I hear it, but at the same time, I, and I'm sure people are going to get mad at me for saying this, but I kind of think it would have fit better three years ago or you like I just don't feel like this is where Taylor needs to be right now and here's where I disagree with you I'm glad you brought up that point because we're going to debate it out we're going to fight it out on this one right so here's the thing word going around and and all the research I did and reading I did and all these articles everybody is referring to this as a Kanye diss track exactly yeah they're saying it's Kanye diss track I call BS, okay? This track is not about Kanye. It's not about Kim. It's not about Katy Perry. It's about Taylor Swift. It's a song about her, not Kimye or Katy. But isn't it about her response to all the debacles? Not exactly. Yes and no. Yes and no. Not exactly, though. It's a song about her, right? This is why I said she is and always will be a storyteller, because she simply is telling the story of her life. And that's why Diane and I were talking you know, when it first came out about we're like, oh, this part sounds like it could be about Kanye. This part sounds like it could be about Katy Perry. Um, And really, in essence, I think that those are all just components of a larger story. And that's the story of Taylor and the story of her rising up from the dead, the metaphorical dead. That is obviously she didn't actually die and come back to life. Um, But these are just the events surrounding this one particular instance. And this is about her rising up. I think this song is about her, and that's the larger story. Okay. Well, Adam, Adam, <laughs> going go. with that, that kind of makes sense if this is the very first song off your new album, because this is kind of the rebirth of Taylor Swift, the next chapter. Right. Taylor Swift number six, as people have been. <laughs> but which is why I almost say it's not a rebirth song, because it's kind of like Bad Blood, in the sense that it's about a person that she has trouble with or about her i mean i I just i I don't know adam 
I think I, I think I nailed it with this one. And going off of what Steve said, talking about it being an introduction to the album, the album, let's remember, is called Reputation, right? Now, it's about Taylor's reputation. And one of the most interesting theories that I read was actually a series of tweets by Brian Mansfield, who uh, used to be the first person Taylor followed on Twitter, but now she doesn't follow anybody. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, if, if you don't know who Brian is, we had him on years and years ago. It was a good five or six, five years ago or so that he was on the podcast um, with us. He used to be the Nashville correspondent for USA Today and has since moved on to other projects. Um, but he is a music analyst and a music critic. And, and I really do respect his thoughts and ideas because he really knows the industry well. Anyway, what he said in this series of tweets is that he believes that this sort of reminds him of something you two did a number of years ago where they created and acknowledged a public persona to essentially mask their personal and private lives, to keep their personal and private lives well, private, right? So Taylor has always been one of those celebrities that's been very open to fans and open to the general public, and it's left her vulnerable in quite a few areas of her life, right? Like all the attacks about, oh, she only writes about ex-boyfriends when that yeah. is far from the truth. That's not all she writes about, but that is one component of her, her um, writing. However, in this particular case, I think it could be true because what she's essentially doing is she is embracing these rumors and these thoughts that were presented about her by all these various people that built her public reputation. And now she's acknowledging and confronting it the same way if you acknowledge and confront a bully, you shut them up, right? But how is she confronting them with this song? Like, to me, it almost sounds like she blames them for what they made her do, and it makes her sound like a passive player in all of this. I didn't say she's confronting them. I said she's acknowledging them. Okay. I didn't say necessarily confronting. It's similarity, but it all I was the reason I was comparing it to confronting a bully is because it negates the effects of that bully's actions. That's what she's doing is these actions taken by others built a reputation, a public persona for her. She's simply acknowledging it and saying, yep, that's me. So now they can't use that stuff as an attack. They can't call her a snake as an attack because she came out and is like, yeah, I embrace the snake. Diane, one thing I, when you brought up earlier about yeah. you kind of considered this song similar to Bad Blood. Mm -hmm. That was actually not one of the songs that came to my mind when I listened to this the first time. Which one did you think of? Uh, Shake It Off, actually. And that kind of goes a okay. little bit into what Adam was saying because of how that song was structured, a kind of similar way of like acknowledging what people were saying about her. It's kind of more along the lines of that, I think, than Bad Blood, where she's attacking someone. Thank you, Steve. Okay. Uh, but to continue building upon it, right? Because, um, you know, Brian's theory is that she's building a, pub or a public persona to mask her private life now, right? She's not putting herself out there like she used to, but rather creating an artificial her. And, I mean, there's evidence throughout um, time with celebrities of her stature that need to do that right so brian's example was you two but diana if you remember correctly diana and i listened to a podcast called the nerdist and it did a phenomenal interview with paul mccartney where he actually explained what he refers to as the other guy this is the coolest thing so ever. he went through this whole thing and he said when he sees himself in the media and things like that he doesn't even see it as himself he sees it as this quote other guy 
So he actually does have split personas. And granted, I, I you know, I don't think Taylor is necessarily at the great historical and legendary level of the Beatles, but she's certainly at that level where she can't go out in public without being mobbed, just like when the Beatles were at their peak. So then you think what these people have, quote unquote, like made her do is create two personalities, like one being the old Taylor and the new Taylor. Is that right. why the yes. Taylor's dead? Yes. yes. You're, you got it. That is the look what you made me do. It's not... It's not as vengeful and full of revenge as everyone thinks. What they made her do is embrace her public reputation. That is the what they made her do. But isn't the look like, okay, like the way she says it isn't, I mean, I hear it as her saying, look what you made me do, not in terms of her embracing anything. It's just her accepting I guess this new life and what she has to do now. So it still makes it sound like she has no control. But I think that's kind of the sarcastic okay. tone of it. And I think that's kind of what it's going for. And I know that uh, in one of those articles um, with the guys from right said, Fred, they like the sarcastic tone of this song because that's kind of what the whole idea of, you know, their song was. Okay. He really wasn't too sexy for his shirt. That was just being sarcastic. <laughs> All right. It was sarcastic. It actually, if I remember correctly from the Rolling Stone article, was written on a hot day in London where he had to take his shirt off because he was so hot. Physically hot. He's too hot for a shirt. Yes. Like physically, <laughs> temperature hot. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, guys, uh, still speaking about the song as a whole before we get into the lyric by lyric breakdown. Um, what do you guys think of the overall tone and the sound of it? I think the sound sounds really cool. I don't I like it. really have any other things to say about that, except I like it. <laughs> it's the one thing I kind of miss, and it's just because those are the kinds of songs, is it's not a super upbeat, peppy sort of song, which which I kind of like. But you got to have a little bit of, you know, ups and downs and everything else. So I'll take it. Yeah, you know, I really like the sound and I like what she did. Um with the lyrics, because here's the thing, you know, when we talk about the lyrics in just a few minutes, we're going to talk about a lot of uh, literary merit to them. But the actual sound of them, she kept them all very like short syllables and it all made for a very punchy sound. Right. It's like a boom, boom, boom. Like it's it's punch, 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 punch. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so so I think that was very clever use of, of the sound. And then, um, you know, I want to say. Who was it? Gosh, one, one of it, it might have been. Someone was just pointing out the layers of the sound, too. And I can't remember exactly who said it, but something about the layers, how you have like an orchestra with things you wouldn't expect with an orchestra sound and things of that sort, too. So it's really unique and, and never been done type of thing. And that's what I was saying earlier about the Jack Antonoff, Taylor Swift artistic um, combination there is that they sort of explore boundaries of musical arts that nobody has really gone to before. And I think this song is a testament to their ability to do that, sound-wise. Though I definitely hear some other songs in this song, though, and obviously beyond just the I'm Too Sexy part. Yeah, well, that one's obvious enough where she had to give them a writing credit <laughs> for it. So, yeah. Um, so let's get into the lyrics right now. Here's the thing with lyrics. What I like to do when I go through this is really like read it as a work of fiction with characters and not with real people. Um, 
No, seriously, because then we can really analyze the language and the writing style here. Uh, you know, one of the greatest honors that that I think we got uh, back when we were recording regularly was that we actually had a great number of foreign language speakers uh, write in to share that listening to us and listening to our analyses of the language and Taylor's writing has really helped them get a better grasp on English as they're learning to speak English. Oh, that's awesome. That is really cool. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no. So I, I just, that's why I really like this part and why I really like to analyze it as a work of literature and not necessarily an autobiography because, you know, it can't be taken literally because it's full of metaphor. It's full of symbolism. She alludes to several of her other songs and other works of art. And so um, let's kind of get into it and take <laughs> a look at... Oh, Clark wants to participate. <laughs> he does want to participate. I'm sorry, buddy. This, this isn't for you. Um, why don't you listen in, though? <laughs> Alrighty, guys. So let's get in-depth into this, right? Like, let's actually start to break down the lyrics and see exactly what they did here, what she did here in her writing. So it starts off with, I don't like your little games. Don't like your little... Uh, sorry. Don't like your tilted stage. Right? Now, she's using life as a game. And this is what I was talking about, how there is this game, this up and back, right? But the uh, tilted how, stage... Um, how does she use life as a game? I don't really see that. Because they're playing games with who said what and who did this and who did that and all that that's going on. Okay. She's saying that they're playing games, right? They're playing who, games with... Who is they? Who is they, Adam? Her haters. Okay, because I think Ooh. it's Kim and Kanye, but you don't agree with me. Kim Ye. No, I didn't say I didn't say they weren't part of it. I said these are just stories around it. I said they're not the central focus of this song. They're not what the song is about. That's what I said. So let's talk about um, Tilted Stage, right? Because I think this is one of the most popular, uh, popularly analyzed lyrics mm -hmm. lately. Everyone's talking about this one because they're immediately pointing to it and saying, hey, look, this has to be about Kanye because on his St. Pablo tour, um, you know, he played from Tilted Stage. Or they're going with Katy Perry's Super Bowl performance where she was on a tilting stage. However, this is where I think Taylor's really clever, and she's done this a lot in a lot of her other songs. She's presented literal facts with a double meaning. So while the tilted stage does point towards two different people and their stages, where the meaning comes from is their tilted stage is metaphorically a warped perception. And that's where they're telling their side of the story from is from a tilted stage, a tilted perception. It's a tilted story. Right, but she put that word in there for a reason because Katy Perry and and Kanye West both used that that, that like turn stage or, or whatnot. And so she could have used a she she could have used um another word to to um but so so this is where I don't see it can't possibly not be about Kanye because that word is in there for a, for a specific reason. But you're she looking, could have left them out. You're looking too focused though because these are part of the stories that led to the central theme, which is her regrowth and her rising from the dead. The song itself is about her. Is my argument? I'm not saying it doesn't mention them. I'm saying she used this lyric as a double meaning. But if her goal was it to be about her she should have left them out because now the only thing that people will talk about and care about is Kanye and Katy Perry so it doesn't do anything in my opinion 
to stop what people say about her. It just gives them more fuel, which is why I have issues. But she's not writing it for anyone except herself. I don't know. It's it's a work of art. It's a work <laughs> of poetry, right? And I'm just pointing out the double meaning. I'm just looking at her use of language here, really, because I don't want to buy into the whole gossip thing. I didn't either. But I feel like there are too many things happening with this whole song that point to Kanye too much. But isn't that the point of it? It's over the but top. But that's why that I don't of- like it, because I'm so ready to move on from this. Like, I don't want to hear about Kanye West and Taylor anymore. I'm people, so done. But people will do that on every single song. They will try to find some sort of thing related to... But Taylor's making it too obvious. But here's the thing, Diane. Where does your reputation come from? What people say about you. So it, Taylor's giving them more stuff to say about her. Yes and no. It, it comes from everything that has happened throughout your life. Right? She is just simply explaining what crafted this song. It's just part of the story. How does she possibly leave that out without writing a complete work of fiction, which would leave it with no personalization at all, and without it being personal on some level, then it loses its artistic value. You can have art without making it personal. Mm. Mm-mm. You have to make it relatable. It doesn't have to be personally about you, but it has to be something that people can relate to. Yeah. And people can relate to this sort of thing. I mean, any person that's been in high school and elementary school, they're used to people playing little games on them and that kind of stuff. They're used to people that will take, you know, and give a story and say, hey, this is what happened. And that's only half the story. That tilted stage is the their half of the story. But there's a whole another side of the story that's not being told. And think about it as a stage. You have a stage. There's the front of the stage, but there's all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes that people do not know. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where this song, the the words and the where that they're crafted is so critical to to read it deep into the meaning, not so much just on the surface. And how can this relate to, you know, the, the quarrels that she has with other celebrities and such? And look at the metaphor of a tilted stage, right? Something that tilts one way tilts back the other way yeah and likewise there's two sides to a story because as the lyrics go on they've got the role you made me play of the fool no i don't like you right so on one end of the stage this metaphorical tilted stage is the role you made me play you tilt it back the other way and there is her version of the truth mm-hmm. yeah. as the writer yeah i just don't think you're gonna do anything to convince me that's all so we could just we're gonna we're on. gonna try our best that's Good all luck. we can do i think we certainly did convince her we shut her up at the very least there for a minute that doesn't <laughs> mean my mind has changed she had no comeback Let, because let's keep I would working at it myself. adam i think i think we can do this all right I let's keep by going the end of the song we got it let's keep moving on right so yep. i don't like your perfect crime so perfect crime is sort of um what's what do they call it uh colloquialism for a crime that goes undetected right it's it's that's that's what she's saying is that somebody committed a crime against her and it went undetected so i think that's what that means lyrically i don't know if you guys have anything to add to that or if we're just breaking down language on this no line. just more snapchat stories with kanye and kim <laughs> that's the only perfect crime i can think of that really what, what, what crime is that though i don't know them like tricking her into 
I don't know. It certainly was a perfect crime. Yeah. It certainly was a perfect crime because if you really look into that video, it doesn't show her actually approving these lyrics, you know. And again, that's a, that's an argument for a different day, but that that's could the quite argument be that the perfect I have. crime. But here's the thing though, she doesn't actually talk about that. She talks about your perfect crime, um, how you laugh when you lie. Um, then finally you said the gun was mine, right? They're saying that she took the first shots. That or, she's the one that shot them in the back. Not necessarily. Or that this person gave her the power and she was being misled into thinking she had power and she didn't. That's that's how I read that line. That she was misled into thinking that she had That she had, had power. the power because guns equal power. Okay. You said the gun was mine. She had power. But he or she lied about it and that's possible if you're going back to your snapchat cell phone that's call a, theory yes, yes, I am. Um, yes they i mean they certainly misled her <laughs> uh-huh. in that situation certainly misled her but um i don't know i i, I still see some uh a couple of tv shows some law and order there you know they oh, have that kind of stuff yeah. happen you know where it's like oh my gosh and they get the wrong person and that kind of thing i mean that's I even see it to that level. <laughs> I mean, I just think those four lines combined saying, I don't like your perfect crime through the end of the verse isn't isn't cool. No, I don't like you. Um, you know, is really just all about the crime committed against her, right? So, mm-hmm. Diane, here's the thing, right? So you teach, you teach story structure. I teach sixth grade English. Yes, I do. So you teach the structure <laughs> of a story, right? Uh-huh. So how could this song have existed without this part? You're saying if it is, in fact, about her, how could it have ever existed without setting the stage or setting the scene or, or the background information? Because I think that this song would have been more powerful and gotten her point across more if it had, like... If there was no way you could read the song to be so much about Kanye and Kim and Katy Perry. But do you know what the thing is, is I think when she writes this, I don't know that she makes it obvious deliberately or if people just yes, instantly their minds go yes, there. Yes, she does. I, I, mm. I mean, her, like, like the, the font that she's using is the same one that um, Kanye used for his St. Disagree. Pablo tour. Disagree. It's confusingly similar. <clears throat> confusingly similar, let, yes, but I disagree because here go, here you go with that double meaning again, right? Just like up above with the tilted stage, double meaning doesn't have to point directly at him. But what it could point to is if you look at the theme of reputation, right? I think potentially the larger theme of the album is people misrepresenting her publicly and people's different perspectives being misrepresentations of her on a public level and if you look at the reputation cover art the actual album art for this new album it's all based on newspaper clippings and that font is actually the new york times font okay that's true but then at the same time and people i'm sure are also gonna hate me for saying this so this entire thing is about her Yes, that's what I said. Yes. The whole song's about her. But there's a slightly self-centered way you can view that. Mm. <laughs> you, <laughs> mm. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I just don't think it's the right time for all of this, but whatever. No, I think there's I think there's nothing wrong with it, right? Cuz it's when it's when it came out, it is what it is, right? I think uh. it came out in the nick of time. Oh god. Uh, funny, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> 
Is that is that your subtle way of being like move on to the next verse move already on to and that stop next bickering? Line, yes. Okay. So, but I got smarter. I got harder in the nick of time. Oh, see, look at that. Oh my gosh, there. Steve, how'd you do that? Right, fortune teller. Right. Um, so. I think what that could potentially refer to is the fact that she was able to come up with this and, and really make it work in the nick of time before she actually became irrelevant. And some may argue that she is now irrelevant. In fact, there was an article about it. Um, Diane, I think you shared that with us. That's the one where I'm getting a lot of my feelings from. Unfortunately, it's a very scathing art. It's pretty bad. It yeah. <laughs> it was, but how can you argue that someone is irrelevant when they just set the streaming record for Spotify and um for youtube's lyric videos because i don't think this is people are gonna kick me off the show there's gonna be a petition but i don't think that she is going to gain any new fans from this i think it will just make the current fans just love her more because they're so happy that she's back um so i I don't think it will do anything to grow her fan base it will just kind of continue what she's already got which is still cool and this is awesome why does she have to grow her fan She base? absolutely doesn't, but yeah. Um, and I still disagree with you on that because I think anytime she changes her sound, she grows a fan base because when 1989 came out and she made that full transition um, over into the pop area, pop arena, um, she gained a huge number of new followers and fans. So um, okay, with the change of sound. So she's she's really established herself where when she changes sound, she can carry her old fan base with her and then gain new people who are into that particular sound. Um, but that has nothing to do with the lyrics, right? So the next lyric, I think, is is the lyric. Honey, I rose up from the dead. I do it all the time. I think that is what you made me do. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That's what the whole song is about. That's what the title of the song is about. That's what the chorus of the song is about. Is I rose up from the dead, I do it all the time. Is her bouncing back. Well, that is pretty um, inspiring that you can have, you know, people beat you down and then you can still say, oh no, but I'm back. Like I can, you know, still walk with my head held high no matter what happens. But, but that's why this is also the perfect song for a brand new album. This is the rebirth. And actually, if you watch the lyric video... You'll see like the gravestone yeah, and you'll yeah. see a bird flying away. That's not any bird. That <laughs> is a phoenix. Yeah. A rising of a phoenix. You know, yeah. that's the rebirth. That's what this is. This is the rebirth of Taylor. And obviously there's some lyrics a little later that kind of also have to deal with that rebirth. So think of reputation as rebirth. Thank you, Steve. I actually didn't notice that it was a phoenix, but it makes sense now. It so- should be it- yeah. So so let's keep let's kind of keep going with this, right? So I've got a list of names, and yours is in red underlined. Diane, I have to ask you: Is this a Mean Girls illusion? Because that's what I keep seeing online. <laughs> I would think that you would have seen that online and not made that connection. I would yourself. not have made that connection myself. Um, but they did have a like like this like burn book where they would write mean things about the people that they didn't like. Um, and I guess it could be. If you want to think that it's a Mean Girls Burn book, sure, why not? Well, I mean, you know, it's talking about people that have wronged her. So yeah. why would that be in, in a list and also underlined? And this is also, um, you know, I wonder what your guys' is your guys's, weird word um, thoughts are on um, th- just that idea of a list of names when it's compared to blank space. 
any any connection or do you think it's just a visual she likes using well well i'll I'll give you something that's kind of strange with the whole red underlined actually there's two things number one the part that's confusing at least from the lyrical video is it's actually highlighted i thought the same thing (laughs) i was was like how dare you you could have easily just made it underlined (laughs) right and the other thing about underlined um i don't know if you've ever wrote a word document or something along the lines of that but do you ever put a word that is either misspelled or in the case a lot of times if you put a name it'll put the red underlined little squiggly thing i bet you word does not think that um yeah probably yeah, I think you're right. Hmm. Interesting thought, Steve. Something that just clicked as I was reading through this again is it's not red underlined. It's red comma underlined okay. past tense, right? So yeah. the name is in red and okay. is also underlined is what the line reads literally mm-hmm. when you actually okay. look at the sentence structure there, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So here's something interesting is... Two albums ago, she used the color red as not only the album title, but a metaphor for love and passion. And in this, she's changed it to venom and hate. Well, I think red can mean both. You know, you can love someone and that can be a red color and you can hate someone and that can be like red hate. So red can be both. Maybe Red is just referring to Santa Claus because then she checks her list once and then checks it again twice. Actually, I thought that too. What, the, the connection to Santa? Yeah. <laughs> Making a list and checking it twice. Yes. Um, but I think there's actually a deeper meaning to that there too because why does Santa check the list twice? To make sure find he's out right. who's naughty or nice. Thank you, Steve. Find out <laughs> who's naughty and nice. So that's essentially what this list is. I think Taylor in her life as a writer and, and what she's meaning here is reevaluating people. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's it's here's a list. I, I, I already checked it once. Now I need to check it twice and really determine who's who's naughty and who's nice. Now, of course, that's a matter of opinion, right? Because there are obviously a ton of haters out there right now that are on Team Kimye, um, you know, that, that think Taylor's the naughty one and that, that Kimye, they are nice. But um, it's just a really interesting visual point because Santa is really jolly and happy and all that. And this song is very, like, dark. and. I mean, it sounds creepy that she has a list and she checks the people's names on it. That sounds very, like, stalkerish. Not that I'm saying Taylor's a stalker, but it has that sort of, like creepy connotation which i'm sure is what that's what she's going for but it also doesn't mean a literal list either because it could be like like if you piss me off oh you're on my list yeah you know what i mean as as just sort of um an expression a figure of speech but why underline and why not cross out i mean other than it probably rhymes better like you would almost think that you know it's like I'm not even, you're not even anybody to me anymore. It's more like cross out the name rather than underline it. You're kind of like highlighting it in a way if you're underlining it. Maybe because she wants like to do something to them, like get revenge. I don't know. I mean, because that would mean that you would want to pay like, uh, I I don't know. Yeah. Let's think on that. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. In comes the chorus, right? The most complex, lyrical work of art ever. It's only one line. Ooh, look what you made me do. Um, Set to the rhythm of I'm too sexy. 
but here's here's where it starts to get really deep, right? And this is why the lyric video was so important, such an important part of this song, and so revealing to some of the deep background behind it. In fact, I had to make Diane watch it because she's like, I don't need to watch it. I already know it. Well, because there are a lot of songs that there's aren't that fun to watch, but this one was fun to watch with the snakes and the crime-esque, you know, things on it. It was good. I liked it. Okay, so do you guys remember what was happening during the chorus in the song? There were snakes, and they were in a circle, and they were chasing their tails, kind of. Chasing their tails, eating themselves. So here's something interesting about that, because it's an incredibly symbolic image. So there's a word that I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of, right? Do it. It's it's Eurobarus. And is it Greek? It, it, it is Greek. Ancient Greek at that. Um, so here's the thing. The symbol of a snake eating its own tail was first seen back in ancient Egypt, roughly, I want to say, 1600 BC is what I read in my research. Um, the name itself was given by the Greeks a number of years later, after the fact. But as this symbol has popped up throughout history, it's always had one meaning. And the snake eating itself is a symbol of nature being cyclical, right? Mm-hmm. And so from sort of a more broad perspective and a sort of analytical, I don't, I don't know what to call this, but Taylor is, is in a sense, eating her own reputation. It's, it's sort of a circle of nature. It's like the circle of life. Things come back around, right? So things are presented to her, and now she has to essentially eat that, right? In a metaphorical sense, of course, she's not literally eating it. Um, well, I suppose that helps explain why this part is so is so is so like it's just like the same phrase over and over again it just repeats it's very i mean i guess that would show that right the snake and the chorus just repeats 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 it is it is repetitive and you know going back to that it's kind of an author's choice thing um years ago I say years ago now, because it was years ago, when we did an episode discussing Out of the Woods, right? Which that was another uh, Jack Antonoff, Taylor Swift, masterpiece work of art. Um, The chorus then was also very repetitive. You know, are we out of the woods yet? Are we out of the woods yet? It just goes on and on um, like that. And I think that's really writer's choice. You know, it places a lot of emphasis on what they're trying to say as a writer, what what, what she is trying to say as a writer. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So in this sense, um, she's placing a lot of emphasis on this is it, this is life, this is how it works, it's coming back around. And I would like to think that the the use of, I'll try it again, Eurobarus um, mm-hmm. in the video was very deliberate. You know, it was very deliberate. The video was produced by Joseph Kahn, who also is directing the video which debuts tonight. Um, in fact, it's debuting as we're recording this. We're totally missing it. Um, we'll catch it. <laughs> That's okay. Um, but, you know, it, it has to be deliberate because otherwise, why would she have used her director? I, I think your robber sounds like the perfect crime. It does. And, you know, <laughs> additionally, what makes it even more fitting, it's interesting that there is this historical metaphor for the snake eating itself because... This is another example of Taylor embracing that rumor and, in a sense, confronting it because uh, Kim called her a snake, and you remember that whole snake thing happened, and that's what sort of started this. And then it comes 
back full circle. That's her turning and flipping that metaphor on its head. Like, you're a snake, Taylor. That's a bad thing. To Taylor adapting it as a good thing. This is where regrowth happens. This is the circle of life, right? I went down, but now it's all coming back around and I'm on the rise again. But see, that's where I think this is too much about Kim and Kanye, but I guess, I mean, she's responding to it. But at the same time, like, I just don't want to talk about them anymore. No, but it's not about them. It's about what they did to her and how that resulted in her going through this cycle. This, again, the the larger theme of this song is about her. Yeah. I don't know, Steve. What do you think? I say it's rebirth. Okay. (laughs) Rebirth. All right, so that's the chorus. Then we get into the next verse, which opens up with, I don't like your kingdom keys. They once belonged to me. You asked me for a place to sleep, locked me out, and threw a feast. That is so weird. I don't understand this part. (laughs) You know, it's funny because I had a lot of trouble um, trying to come up with any sort of speaking points about this. And this is what I kind of came up with, right? So I don't like your kingdom keys. They once belonged to me. Now, something that initially was adapted from something I read online is the fact that this could potentially be alluding back to her old fairy tale style of writing and her fairy tale stories, right? Because it's talking about the kingdom keys. Now, if we're going with this whole rebirth theme about Taylor, where I see this going now, I don't like your kingdom keys. They once belonged to me because she had them before. It's something she had before, that fairy tale thing. But she doesn't like them anymore. She doesn't even want what she used to have. And well, so uses who the has fairy tale now. Caddy Purry. So <laughs> is this like Pop Princess? Like, did Taylor used to be Pop Princess and now it's Katy Perry? But I don't think that's true. And I don't think I mean, does Katy Perry write songs about princes and princesses and fairy tales? I don't I'm not a big no, Katy, I don't know. But why does this have to be about a person in particular? So I don't like your kingdom keys. They once belonged to me. That doesn't have to be about, like, the your doesn't have to be an individual person. Why can't it be a collective? Because it can be, but who's the collective? The pop world, her old, everyone who gave her her old persona about this, like, damsel and fairy tale land. Maybe. Yeah. I, I guess so. But I, I do think, you know, this is so full. It's like a compilation of so many different aspects of her history that you can't call it a Kanye diss or a Katie diss or a Kim diss because there are little bits in the story that make it all up, right? I think it is a history of Taylor and where she is now. That's what I think it is. Now, if you look at those next two lines, you asked me for a place to sleep, locked me out and threw a feast. What? Funny. <laughs> um... I see that as being like the ultimate stab in the back, right? It, it's when you think about any story, any sort of moral lesson, it's like the ultimate stab in the back when you show someone hospitality or hospitable to them and you welcome them into your home and offer them a place to sleep, so to speak. And then they throw Take you out you. and throw a feast because a feast in the historical sense, that's a celebration, right? Like look what we do on, on different holidays and things we celebrate by having a feast. Um, so, so that's a really clever way, in my opinion, clever use of language to show the ultimate stab in the back happening, right? Like, like I tried to be nice to you. And if you do want to put it in a realistic context, since Diane seems to, 
think it's about Kanye still or Kimye. No, this one's about Katy Perry, I think. This one's about Katy Perry. It's about Kanye. It's whatever. Um, you know, you asked me for a place to sleep. It, it really, they had a moment there where they were starting to reconcile. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, locked me out and threw a feast that, that just blew up in her face. She tried to welcome them back in. Um, you know, and, and who knows how sincere they were from either end of that, right? Um, certainly both sides proceeded with caution during that little period of reconciliation, but essentially locked me out and threw a feast is what happened because they certainly celebrated a victory when the whole world started calling Taylor a snake. Now, Adam, I'm going to, I'm going to totally take this into a totally different ball game here. Go for it. Do it. (laughs) But this whole verse, like the, the first couple lines of this, are almost to me biblical sounding. Okay. Continue. Okay. So like, first okay, off, go, go ahead. If, if if you even if you Google uh, like keys to the kingdom, mm-hmm. it's actually a uh, religious reference where Jesus says that he gives the keys to the kingdom to Peter. Oh. Um, and then you even can look at you know Jesus was you know someone that was very hospitable. Um, Mm -hmm. They had the Last Supper and they even had, you know, a parade like Palm Sunday and that kind of stuff. And then Mm -hmm. he was stabbed in the back by Judas and turned in, you know, and then ended up being crucified. So it's that's actually how I read this. That's actually a phenomenal interpretation, Steve, because like I said at the beginning, I like to read this, if I can, as a work of fiction to the best of my ability. And, you know, works of fiction do incorporate biblical illusion all the time. And while it's not commonplace for Taylor, she has done it before. I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head. It's been a long time since we analyzed her earlier work. Mm-hmm. Um, but there certainly have been small references here and there. I don't know if you guys can think of any off the not top off of your the top head. top of my head, but... That's really what is enjoyable about this song. And over time, like the first time I listened to it and kind of just hear it in the the context of the music, it was not as impressive for me Mm -hmm. as when I started to dig down deep and you start seeing these double and triple meanings of different things. And you're trying to wonder, you know, is it a simple reference to Kim and Kanye or Katy Perry or... You know, is there a deeper meaning like you're thinking it is there or, you know, we've seen the things of rebirth or even, you know, the religious connotations that are in here. So it's really a pretty remarkable song when you get right into it. I think you're right. I think the lyrics go very deep and that's why we do this, right? That's why we have mm-hmm. these discussions and things is to really look into some of that stuff. And it makes us all a little bit uh, wiser in the end. Uh, more in tune with the, the English language and how it's used. And Taylor's a masterful writer mm-hmm. and lyricist. So um, did you have anything else to that biblical illusion, Steve, or you want me to keep on rolling? Oh, I think we can keep on rolling there. Yep. All right, let's keep looking at it. So the rest of that verse, last four lines, you've got the world moves on another day, another drama, drama, but not for me, not for me. All I think about is karma. And then the world moves on, but one thing's for sure. Maybe I got mine, but you'll all get yours. I really like the way this part of the song sounds. It sounds really catty and it's fun. A little bit. (laughs) You know, and here's the thing. Here's the thing about karma, right? I've always been a big believer in karma, not in a a, a mystological sense where there's some magical thing happening, right? But 
in the sense that the way you behave kind of comes full circle, right? And that goes back to the Eurobarus, right? Nope. The everything. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> I know. I don't speak Greek. There's probably some listener in Greek right now, like, slapping his or herself on the head at my pronunciation of this Greek word. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I do the best I can. But, you know, if we're talking about nature being cyclical, I think that's how karma comes into play in real life, right? Is the way you behave is the way people behave towards you. It's that old saying that mom and dad used to say when you're growing up, right? Treat others as you want to be treated. Mm -hmm. So in this sense, you've got the beginning of this part. The world moves on another day, another drama, drama, right? Celebrity gossip just goes on, right? That's cyclical too. They move on to the next story. Then they're going to get back to Taylor again one day because that's what celebrity gossip does. Now, uh, the part about karma, she said, maybe I got mine, but you'll all get yours. Something I think that's really unique here is I think she's sort of admitting wrongdoing. She is. I didn't realize that until now. Like, and, and she's eating the consequences. She's saying, yep, I got it. Yeah, that So sucked, she got but... her karma. What did she do wrong? Mm, well, that's the mystery. Here's the thing, Diane. That idea that you just agreed with, that she got hers, that karma came back to get her, supports mine and Steve's theory about rebirth. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. Because now she's coming back. She's coming back from it. It supports my theory about Kim and Kanye West and the whole Snapchat thing, because maybe she did make it look like she was complicit and wasn't uh you know like it like it like it kind of made it look like she was part of their uh behind the scenes game and she approved the song lyrics even though i think she probably didn't but it made it look like she did and it was a mess so you gotta you gotta read deeper read deeper i think it's both could be okay it Mm. could be (laughs) but i still think there's way too much kim and kanye in this song for me to be super comfortable with it. Well, as far as what she did, all I think she did was lie about having a phone call with Kanye. That I mean, that that's really it. She, the, I mean, that video told us that the phone call did exist. What the video doesn't tell us is how the conversation actually flowed because it's chopped up. It is chopping. And that goes back to the tilted stage theory is they're telling it from a tilted perspective because it's all chopped up to show what they wanted people to see not what necessarily makes Taylor look okay or in the in the right or wrong or they tried to make her look in the wrong. And it was really shady that they filmed that phone call because it because they like set her up to look like a fool, which relates back to the first uh, verse there. Yes. Yep. So uh, the karma line very interesting, both in sound and in theme. Now, if we move right along, it goes through the I got smarter, I got harder uh, lines again, and then the chorus again, before it finally gets to the part, I don't trust nobody and nobody trusts me. I'll be the actress starring in your bad dreams. Go on, Diane, talk about her misuse of language. Okay. Because I know you're dying to. I don't trust nobody doesn't make sense. The connotation is that she doesn't trust anyone, but what she's really saying is I trust everyone because don't trust nobody makes it seem like, okay, well, if you don't trust, like she trusts everyone because it's incorrect English, but we know what she means, 
but she's not saying it correctly, which is interesting that Taylor Swift would choose because she used to be the like grammar queen, right? Okay, well let's bring in let's bring in some uh, some English lessons here, right? Go. Let, let's go into our high school English classroom, out of the sixth grade classroom, stop uh, into into the big kid classes stop. where we talk about author's choice, right? Um, so in author's choice, and particularly in poetry, there is a certain rhythm that has to be set, and authors quite often break grammatical rules in order to meet that rhythm. I know that. Everybody as far back as the man himself, William Shakespeare, did it. I know. All poets did that, and that's all that is. I know it bothers you, but I really don't have a problem with it for that reason. She had a rhythm to fit. I have a problem with it because it teaches my students incorrect English. I- yeah, but here, here's, my, here's my question on this, though. Maybe the nobody is how she wants to portray that person. Could you? So what, go oh, ahead and give me. Oh, yes. I like so, that with a capital N as a right. proper noun instead of a common noun. Right, because <laughs> that would be correct. If the nobody is an actual person or group of people, then it says, I don't trust like if, if I say I don't trust Diane, that would be correct. Yes, but you're calling me nobody, which is rude. That's it. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> he was not. Nobody, he was that, using that. I believe example. is what's happened in the song. Is these are nobodies to her. She does not trust. I nobody. like that, Steve. That's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. Now it you're makes welcome. me feel better about Taylor Swift. <laughs> See, it just had to be a proper noun, and that's that. Yeah, we just have to capitalize the N and nobody both times. <laughs> right. Okay, now the next line, right? I'll be the actress starring in your bad dreams. I thought that was just a really cool visual, right? So talking about the actress starring in your bad dreams, she's essentially portraying herself as a ghost, right? She's haunting. She's haunting you. Uh, that, that's, that is a very cool visual. Yeah, the writer's haunting you, and that goes along with the karma theme, right? That karma keeps up to you because that's both a ghost in your dreams and also this metaphorical ghost as in something that will be in the back of your mind until it finally catches up with you and releases your guilt. You're going to feel this tiny pang of guilt because you're always going to be thinking about that little ghost in the back of your mind at all times, both waking hours and in your bad dreams. It's the stuff of nightmares, really. Mm Mm-hmm. So um, that presented a really cool visual for me. And then, of course, it just repeats itself several times before it came to the bridge, which was probably one of the biggest punches for everybody, which is the phone call, right? I'm sorry, the old Taylor can't come to the phone right now. Why? Oh, because she's dead. And she laughs when she says, oh, because she's dead. Like, it's a joke, which my jaw was kind of on the floor. I'm like, I'm really uncomfortable with this idea of... Taylor in any form being dead. Yeah. But Maybe. it's rebirth. I know. I get that. The... I get that. The the old Taylor has to be dead. And the word dead is, in my mind, uh, being used to say that she's irreversibly changed at this point. She is, in fact, a new person that has been reborn from various situations that happened through her career. And it's actually really impressive, you know, that it's taken this long to completely rebuild herself. Because if you look at the timeline of the Beatles, right, the Beatles uh, came around in sort of late 50s, early 60s, right? And then they broke up in 1969 specifically. They actually were a band together um, less than 10 years, 
So they were around for a shorter amount of time. Exactly. So the Beatles, as big as they were and as much of an impact on society and the history of music as they've had, were around for a shorter career span than Taylor Swift has already been. Because she's been around, what, since she was uh, 16 when her first album came out? Is that right? 2006? How old was she? Something like that. 16, 17? 15 or 16. She was a kid. 2006 is when the album came out, right? Taylor Swift. Um, So 11 years. Now, if you consider a single being released before that, her career has spanned a little bit longer than that. So she's already at 11 years. She's already outlived the Beatles' career span. And if you look at the Beatles' progression, right, they started as almost a cover band, right, performing American rock music. They looked at Elvis as a role model among other um, American rock musicians, right? Then they sort of get all poppy with, like, the Can't Buy Me Love and, and I Want to Hold the, Your the Hand. The boy band phase. Yeah. yeah, the boy band phase, exactly. <laughs> then they go on this, like, trek through India and get into this whole, like, transcendental and, and you know, George Harrison brings in the sitar and, and the Indian stylings of their music, right? And then um, they get into their final chapter with, you know, Abbey Road and, and Let It Be. Um, and those types of uh, songs and things of that sort. So when you consider they quite literally redefine themselves, um, you know, roughly three to four times, depending on what you consider a Beatles era, in about a nine to ten year span where Taylor's at 11 years, and now she's at this point where the old Taylor is dead. You know, it, it had to happen at some point, or her career would have ended. That would be the alternative. I just can't believe she has, I guess, managed to be emotionally okay with being this big for this long because I would see that as a lot of pressure and I would hate to be, I mean, I don't think I would like to be that famous. So I suppose maybe this is her way of like coping with it. Which goes way, yeah. way back to the beginning of the episode mm-hmm. talking about Brian Mansfield theory about creating a public persona to mask her private life. Right. And essentially privatize her private life. Um, and I, I think that saying she's dead is, um, you know, putting a finale at the end of that initial chapter of the story, kind of similar to the way you know, J.K. Rowling as a writer with her epilogue, the 19 years later in the end of Deathly Hallows, the final book, did that. So, uh, you know, she said, so nobody could write any sort of unofficial sequel, right? So now Taylor has put an absolute closing to that beginning part of her career, and now she is creating the sequel, and nobody but her can create the sequel at this point because she's now written off, confronted, uh, absorbed, uh, whatever adjective you want to use for it, um, or verb rather. Yeah. Um, that persona that was created for her in the earlier part. She's absorbed that and now is creating her own out of that. And she won't let people play her as the fool now because she's learned from that. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't trust anyone anymore. So the. Uh... Well, she, she doesn't trust nobody. Right. Yes. Nobody. <laughs> but either way, I think that's the part. That's the point of the very strong language right there at the end in the bridge saying, oh, because she's dead is it puts a finale point on that portion in that chapter of her life. So it can now move on to the next. Cool. So any last thoughts on this song? Because after that, it just repeats the chorus until it fades out at the end. Uh, I, I got a couple things to throw out there just just the random things that I kind of noticed. Um, 
So, for instance, this little phone conversation piece here, the answering machine, if you will, yeah, kind of reminds me a little bit of we're never, ever getting back together because there's that phone conversation piece in the middle of that song. Yes, so, that's I, true. Yeah. That's true. So I thought of that. Um, the other thing is kind of how the song starts. Like, and, th- and that's the one thing is I was like, we're going to see, is this going to be, you know, I hope this is a good song. And it mm-hmm. starts out, it's very kind of... Uh, a creepy sort of yeah. tone right at the beginning, like almost a little music box sort yes. of. Yeah. It does sound, what I was thinking too. It does sound creepy. And even though we're discussing the video at a later time, I kind of cheated and I had updates coming to my phone. And you know what? I don't want don't spoilers. Ruin don't ruin Stop. it. Stop. Oh, no, no spoilers. Oh, my bad. No spoilers. We're not having this conversation. Everyone no. else that is listening to the show has already seen the music video. And they, but no, do not ruin it for me and Steve. We're going to watch it like everybody else got to. And we're going to do another episode, and then we can talk about it then. <laughs> not tonight. Oh, my gosh, Steve. You're putting not, so no, much no, not, not tonight. Not tonight. Not tonight. At no, some but point I'm in the future, do... don't yes. hold us down and make us do it, though. No, why not? <laughs> we should. Right. But, I mean, not like today or tomorrow. Uh, right. We'll see. So, so, so a couple other little things. That beginning part, there is a couple of songs that that did remind me of, uh, like Britney Spears' Circus. Yeah, that's what the people are saying. And then uh, also Eminem, uh, Lose Yourself. Yeah, oh. I can see that. And I think she's performed that song live, hasn't she? she? On yeah, like I think a, she covered that one. On that's like a Speak one Now of the, show? It was at a Speak Now show, and that was one of the most viewed covers she did on that tour on YouTube. We could do a whole thing comparing that song to this song, because I bet you there are similarities. And one final thought bubble. So there's a very big drum, like, synthesizer kind of sound through the majority of this mm-hmm. song, right? Yeah, it's uh, like it's, this constant beat. It's, uh, we would call that an 808 drum, I bet you. Mm. And Is somebody that something had, you're familiar with? Well, um, yeah, enough. I mean, there was an album that a certain K-word put out. Kanye. Yeah. I guess we're allowed to say the word. I, I miss the days when we used to not actually say his name. Well, there's no way we can get around it now with this song, I'm telling you. Right, 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 right. So, yeah, he, he had an album out there for that called 808 and Heartbreaks, I believe. Hmm. But again, I think she alludes to previous incidents in her life simply to build the story. I don't think that is the central theme of this song. No, I don't think it is either. But it's just interesting. There's all those little tidbits in there that people will pull different ways. And I think they're in there by design. And I think that's kind of one of the things to note is that's what she's going for. Is she put these in here for people to try to interpret it how they want to interpret it because it doesn't bother her. It's not an issue what people because no matter what song she releases, People are going to look and try to point which boyfriend is this about or ex-boyfriend is this about, you know, where's where's the talk about Kim and Kanye in it? Where's Katy Perry at? They're going to do that right, on every but... single song on this this album. So you might as well build some of that stuff in and say, hey, it's not about them, but I'm going to go ahead and throw little things in here that if you think it's about them. You have fun with that because I don't care about them because so, they're nobodies to me. Nobody's. Yeah, that's good. So I'm going to say one more thing that is probably going to make people hate me, but didn't she start off her career asking people to, to like, she put, she wrote songs of, like, um, for people 
And she said, oh, yeah, this song is about Drew. So, like, didn't she almost kind of ask for us to do that at the beginning? And then she it just kind of it. got out of control? She certainly created it, but that was also a different version of her. That was a That's teenage version of her. And she's dead now. Right. And, yeah. and she also got out of, like, the actual exact names and kind of, you know, making it very, you know to people's interpretation instead of pretty much telling them, right. hey, it's about this person or it's about that person, you know, yeah. making them decide what they want and never really specifying and, you know, hey, this is this is what it is about. Well, you can certainly track her development as a writer. She, her earlier work is far more obvious and straightforward and, and mm -hmm. her newer work ever since eh, kind of speak now to red-ish, yeah. um, you know, really has... Probably more red, yeah. Um, has much more deeper meaning and, and a lot of uh, figurative language in it, a lot of symbolism, metaphors, a lot of allusions to different um, aspects of her life. You know, as Steve pointed out earlier, a biblical allusion in this song, yeah. um, you know, and, and her writing is far more complex now than it used to be. And that can be tracked in development. So I don't think she has to use names anymore to call someone out, I mean. Right. Because the old Taylor is dead. Yep. Uh, that's not what you're supposed to say. You're supposed to say, oh. 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 Right? Isn't that what oh. she says over? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, any last thoughts? I think that's it. And that's a wrap. Um, so, anyway, uh, yeah, if, if you guys are new to the show and you really enjoyed it, uh, I best advice I can give you is go visit... Um, iTunes and hit that subscribe button. You can actually take a shortcut to get there and just go to taylortalk.org and that will now take you straight to our iTunes page. That being said, for our old folks out there listening, uh, the website's no more for the time being because to be quite honest and put it quite bluntly, uh, I didn't feel like paying for it anymore. <laughs> and I didn't feel like having to write all those things that I think two people who listen read. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, well, anyway, um, the website's no more for the time being. TaylorTalk.org, the actual web address, redirects to our iTunes page. So that being said, since you all know that, I would love it if you guys, both new and old, might just take a few minutes of your time to go visit TaylorTalk.org, go to our iTunes page, and leave us just a quick review and let us know what you thought of this episode. People both new and old, you know, old people, you can always uh, refresh your review if if you know, you've left one in the past and we'd really appreciate it because that's kind of our communication channel now, now that you can't leave comments on the website. Um, you know, another place you can reach us is on our social accounts, which are both alive and well. So you can go follow Taylor Talk dot or sorry, Taylor Talk 13 on Twitter. Our Facebook page, which is a little bit less active, is also um, Taylor Talk 13. And does anyone remember what our Instagram page is? I didn't even know we had an Instagram. We, someone page. else was helping us with that, which was uh, wonderful. And, and still is, actually. Yes. Hi, Rachel. Uh, I know she's you, listening Rachel. right now. Um, Adam, one thing. I, I don't know if we should call, like, people that have listened to the show for a long time old listeners. That kind of sound like, maybe call <laughs> them, like. That makes them sound ancient, like they're right, old Like, maybe, maybe vintage listeners of Taylor Talk, because we, we can have. call them long-time listeners. Long-time listeners, long -time faithful friends. listeners, not old listeners. 
Longtime listeners, we love yeah. you. Okay. Um, that being said, for those longtime people, as promised, um, just wanted to talk briefly. You know, I'm sure some of the new folks that don't really care about us as people uh, tuned out already, and that's fine. But for the uh, longtime listeners, um, what's going on with this show? Where have we been? What have we been doing? So if you remember from episode 199, um, you know, the, the big thing there, why we had taken a break even before that was uh, Diane and I announced our engagement. Uh, we have since been uh, married. It's weird. We have. Um, We've been married since April 8th. And Congratulations. Steve, Thank thanks, you. Steve. Steve was kind enough to serve as a groomsman, which was a, a great honor. I'm glad that he got to be a part of it as such a it good friend. It was so much fun. So, Thanks, Steve, for coming yes, out and spending like two me. weeks in Vegas with it us. Yeah, it was great. Um, it was a great, great time. time. What was that country music thing we got to go see? Uh, we went to the ACMs. Yeah, we went to some ACM thing. They had we like those parties. Kelsey. Saw Kelsey Ballerini, Lady Antebellum. So yeah. that was that was a great time. And then, um, you know, of course, we got to spend some in real life time with Steve and not just Skype time. So <laughs> it's always uh, better in real life. There, It is. It, it's always better in real life. That's certainly true. Um, you know, and then as far as the show moving forward, this uh, could be one of two episodes for a while. We may uh, be able to do a music video episode the next week or so. Better. Um, you know, the reason, if you guys remember, that we kind of went off the air is we got kind of consumed by our real lives, right? Like, this is a hobby, and it's great. It's great to talk about Taylor's writing and things like that, because like I said, in the classroom, Diane and I have only really gotten to talk about boring works of literature. I don't know about you, but I've been teaching <laughs> some great things like good good, good sixth grade books. I had to teach yeah. such boring pieces of work that I had to leave the English department and start teaching business and marketing instead. Um, so that's what I'm up to now. But either way, we've been so consumed, you know, and that's why we kind of went off the air. So at this point, you know, we're definitely uh, looking into maybe doing a few more episodes and particularly when the album comes out, maybe a few more. But uh, just, you know, we hope everybody understands it's really going to be in our own time and if and when we're available to do it rather than trying to force these episodes out for you guys. You know, and I know a lot of you out there have been really loyal and for that we're eternally grateful. Um, you know, so loyal, in fact, that the last year and a half since our, our last new episode came out, we've actually still been averaging about a thousand downloads per day That's really on the back good. catalog. That's crazy. Yeah, so, so you know, some of those numbers are just absolutely insane. And, you know, I'm willing to bet some of those downloads are, are still some of the loyal uh, long-term, long-time listeners. That's our word, right? Long-time? Yeah, sure, that, whatever you're calling. That have stuck with us and maybe gone back and, and sought out old content because we weren't putting out new content. And um, so that's kind of what the show's going to look like moving forward. You know, I really suggest subscribing on iTunes. That way, when new stuff does come out, you'll know about it. Or just following us on Twitter, because of course we'll tweet it out. So that's my thought. Good. Good. Yeah. Good. Alrighty, shall we uh, wrap it up then? Uh, if we remember how to, yep. I don't really remember how we used to do this, actually. <laughs> I, think, I think we're supposed to, well, we already talked about where they can contact us. Um, right. And then you go, I'm Adam, I'm Diane, and I'm Steve. Have a great Hello. week. Oh, okay. See, now we don't even need to sign off. Diane just did it for us. <laughs> yeah. Problem solved. We took all the fun away. Thanks. All right. Sorry. Bye, guys. Bye. See ya. This podcast is not directly affiliated with Taylor Swift.